The Tale of the Seven Keys. Chapter 8. The knight remained imprisoned at the castle at the end of the world. Not even a warrior as great as he could break the bonds placed on him by the witch. He could not escape. But his daughter, now every bit the knight her father was and more so, never gave up. She fought monsters, real and imagined, without as well as within. She had won all seven keys. And now she set sail for the castle at the end of the world. Okay, tick-tock. Does it say where the castle is? Shh, Bambi. Let him read. Just saying, andale. Okay, so she faces the door of the castle. In the door, there were seven keyholes. The door swallowed the keys whole and slowly opened. Up ahead, she saw her father, bound by seven chains. Father, she cried, I'm here to save you. She placed the keys into the locks, and when she turned the seventh... Sorry, time out. I thought the weird door swallowed the keys. Yeah, no, it did, but then... (laughs) But then she has them again? I'm not that drunk. This is sloppy plotting. Or, it's a paradox. (laughs) That's a clue. But we're fucked. (laughs) Figured that was a good place to end that particular clip. Um, welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> welcome back, everyone, to Physical Kids Weekly. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we are talking about episode 313, the season finale, Will You Play With Me? We're joined today by author of the magician's novels, Mr. Lev Grossman. Welcome, Lev. Thank you. Good to be here. You could. You don't have to do the Mr. I feel like we passed that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I kind of put it on there just to see how you'd respond, so. Uh, triggered me i'm sorry you know this has been a season about tricksters and gods we just had to throw our own hat in the ring (laughs) um all right before we get into the episode we wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you've been working on since we spoke with you last august i kind of can't believe it's been that long um so when we talked to you then you were working on a new novel the bright sword so i guess we'll start there how's that going Oh, um, that's such a good question that I don't know the answer to. Um, <laughs> I, I finished a draft of it uh, in December, uh, and we're now, it's April 1st, right? Um, uh, well, actually, this is, I swore a mighty oath that I wouldn't touch it for three months. So I guess theoretically, um, I ought to be back at work um, on it today. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's, it's. It, it's uh, I, I'm I'm really proud of it. It's it's really long. Um, it, the magician's books are about 145,000 words each, um, and this one is pushing 250. So wow. Um, I mean, you know, by fantasy standards, that's not even that long. I mean, Patrick Rothfuss, you know, 250,000. That's nothing to him. You know, he'll bat that out in the morning. Um, but. For me, it's like it's it's long. It's just it's complicated. There's a lot of pieces to manage, um, and I thought uh, I've kind of I'm just going to step away from this for a while and get some perspective on it. Uh, so that is what I've done, um, and I've spent the past the, the three months since then um, working on other projects. I'm in a, I'm in a very frustrated state right now because uh, I've really been working hard on a lot of creative projects. You know, for the past three years and you know none of them have quite made it to fruition i wrote a screenplay based on a short story of mine um which is still making the rounds in hollywood without any resolution um i've written 
uh, treatments for movies, which are still kind of in development. Uh, I wrote uh, a middle grade novel, which is getting the same treatment as The Bright Sword. Um, even though it's just a middle grade novel, it has also apparently become too complex for me to comprehend. So I put that down. Uh, and then um, I am developing a TV show with um, some very established producers in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that in the next month or two, we'll, we'll get a, a, a green light for that from, from a network, but we haven't um, mm. taken it to networks yet. We're still refining it. Mm. So I, I've been working at kind of a fever pitch with uh, the result that absolutely nothing by me has been published or shown anywhere. Uh, so anyway, there's a lot sort of in the works, but um, nothing, nothing's done. You, you kind of stole the question right from yeah. us because we were like just about to follow up with what else are you working on? <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. I sort of, I walk around and I'm always boring my family with details of these projects. Um, I wish there's, just, you know, probably there's at least half a dozen, but you know, nobody knows about them. Nothing's been announced and um, nothing kind of ready to show. I don't know. Maybe they'll all come into fruition at once and then everything will come flooding out but it hasn't happened yet i feel like that happens a lot like especially if you put a bunch of things on the back burner it's just you'll sit there marinating on them for ages and then suddenly it'll be a burst of productivity all over the place so that's the plan i'm planning for a burst of productivity um (laughs) and you know again i've written like a ton of words like loads and loads um and Multiple TV and screen treatments. Um, I just am waiting for something to mature. Yeah. But it hasn't quite yet. Yeah. Well, I think we'll be excited to hear next time uh, where things are. Um, yes. I thought for us it might be fun to, to start this episode out by talking about highlights from the season as a whole now that it's over. Um, so for mm. me... The big ones are, I, I think Danny's are probably going to be pretty similar, though. Feel free to surprise me. The big ones were the, the Quellied Adventure and A Life in the Day. Um, I mean, I really loved that episode. I loved that it was the inner light. I mean, I, I loved so much about it. The Harriet sequence in Six Short Stories, which is just, like, amazing and groundbreaking and not something I was expecting to see, which uh, just goes to show, like, how, how great the magician's show is, like, surprising us even though uh even though you know people like Danny and I have read the books intimately um and then of course the the musical episode and the the Bowie number in particular um Mm. and then I think at like a high level it's been really gratifying to watch Margot, Fenn, and Julia kind of grow and step into their power this season so those are my big highlights and and Danny I'll, I'll shoot to you now what are your season highlights I think that's pretty much the same. I, I feel the same. And then also like seeing more Todd was very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I was looking over the text that you sent me about the finale when I was prepping this. And I, the last one I have from you is that's always my, like, that's always my critique needs more Todd. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, how is he not there at like the, the new break bills at least like sitting in the bag. <laughs> yeah so the last episode we saw him in was when he was like a demon right it wasn't even actually him 
Yeah, I, you know, it's it's funny because I feel like um, I think it was it was either David or Henry who uh, kind of like spoiled the magic of of that why people are in an episode for me a little bit by saying that there are actors that they have for four episodes, ones they have for seven, and ones they have for the whole season. Todd has mm-hmm. been in four episodes, and mm. that was his fourth was the the uh, was the musical episode. So as soon as he said Makes that, I was sense. like, ah, oh, we're not getting Todd back, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then Felicia, we only got for three. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I feel like she's yeah. she's such a superstar. She probably gets to, to write her own contracts. <laughs> true. So, Lev, what about you? What are your highlights this season? It's um, a good question. Uh, I, I experienced the, the season. Um, uh, I've... I've seen the episodes a lot longer ago, probably, than you guys have. Um, so I'm thinking about them. Uh, in general, Josh has been a big highlight for me this year. Oh, yes. Um, I really feel like, you know, they, they, they handed a lot more to Trevor, and, you know, they found out the same thing they found out about Summer, which is that, you know, she he, he just has huge amounts of, of range, of gravitas. He's comic, but, he's, but, he, but he also runs really deep. Um, just that even starting with that first monologue in the very, in the very first episode of the season where he's talking about how much he misses magic and, and, you know, Mm. how special it made him feel. Uh, it really captured a lot of what, what I like about the series. Um, and it's something I tried to do with Josh in the books, sort of start him as comic and then find more depth in him. That's been really great to watch. Um, I really liked Hyman. (laughs) (laughs) Really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what a great! I really enjoyed. I enjoyed our time with him, uh, although it was brief. Uh, I loved having Felicia on the show. That was an amazing thing, um, and super cool. Um, let's see what else. Uh, the animations were great. That went yeah. along with the book of the Seven Keys. Um, they just nailed a really cool style for that, and. Um, it was something new for the show yeah. and uh, really dug it. I really dug the Bowie song too, though. That was good. <laughs> I, um, I'm a real sucker for the musical episodes. Um, John and Sarah, whenever they sort of present them, they're always like acting like they're on tenor hooks, like, is this going to be okay? I know, you know, it's a little goofy, um, but I just, I fall for it every time. Uh, I really, uh, I really love it. So talking about you were talking about like one of the things you liked was that Josh got to be a little more serious um, in the season, and I think the musical episode for me was was like the the best of that. Um, I really liked that he kind of got to deliver his um, kind of constantly left behind and underestimated speech. Um, that you sort of get in two places in the books and. Um, when he misses, when he's late for the Welters match, and then later in Venice, when the, you get the like less bitter version. Um, yeah, that was really fun, and to have him deliver that to Alice as well, I thought was like a really an, an interesting move and a, a sort of good way to. It showed a real thoughtfulness about like how the characters have changed in the show versus how they were in the books. I, I also like that at the end of the episode, Julia's like, I tried to call you, and he's like, yeah, sorry, I'm a dick like that, because like yeah. he also realizes that he's kind of leaves himself behind sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's like a bit of a double um, standard that he has. Yeah, yeah. Too. Yeah, yeah. It, it's complicated. They, 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 
they pushed pretty far with that character in terms of in terms of the complexity. Uh, and it really, the writers sort of rose to the occasion, and 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 Josh really rose to the occasion too. Yeah. Um, I thought the 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 Frey arc was really good with mm. with uh, uh, with uh, I thought Fen was really good. I don't know whether to call the char- actors by their real names or by their character names. I'm just alternating. Um, <laughs> uh, but so Fen did really well. Um, I mean, I sort of want to say that Elliot and Margot did really well because they're always so incredible. Um, basically, every time they were on screen was a, was a highlight for me. Um, mm-hmm. I thought Alice, the, the Alice um, Olivia went to some really dark places uh, with Alice in a, in, a, in a way that was I found cool and and convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There was a lot of good stuff. There was a, it was a good season. It was a really good season. Speaking of the sort of Olivia stuff, that was actually one of, like, one of the things that I was saddest about in this episode was that um, I wish we'd gotten more time with Alice's, like, pain. Um, I, there were sort mm-hmm. of bits of it that we got over the course of the season. We saw the various ways that she's sort of responding to having been Niffin and returning. But the the sort of things that led her to want to work for the library, to be interested in controlling magic in a different way and, and having it like kept from magicians kind of including and especially her, I wish we'd had like a little more of that in the last few episodes to lead up to this. I agree, I agree. You know, uh, um, culminating in her extremely drastic decision um, yeah. to have her identity erased. Yeah. Uh, you definitely um, it needs a lot of preparation to get to a, a, a decision like that. And yeah, I, I would have loved to, loved to have seen more. Yeah. Well, and you yeah. can complain about more Olivia. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's always, like, everyone, there's so many of them, and it's just, like, you almost feel like you, you don't get a sc- enough screen time with, with all of them. Yeah. I'm going to give a shout-out to one other person that I, I didn't put in before, which is uh, Brittany, because I've really loved seeing Fen develop. In, I mean, I mentioned her, like, a little bit, but I've really loved seeing her develop into more of a real character instead of just a foil for Elliot or a foil for Margot or... Mm-hmm. I think that was, right, like, Margot's arc did the same thing. She went from, and Josh did the same thing. You were talking about, like, going from comic relief to being a more fully-fledged character in this season. Um, and Margot's been a character, Margot was a, sort of did that in season two, but she really expanded here, and, and Fen got to do that with the Frey storyline. Um, yeah, it was all great. Sorry. Uh, Australia. Yeah, they, yeah. Have, <laughs> they have a great way of um, uh, kind of, they pick certain characters and kind of double down on them yeah. um, to see whether they can find more in them. Um, and I completely agree. It, it totally worked with, with Fen, who's a, you know, a throwaway character in the Brooks um, and could have been a throwaway character in the show too. Um, but, you know, there's obviously there's so much more to her. Uh, yeah. the, only, the only problem is that, you know, they keep, um, they get these great players in and then make them regulars. And now the, the cast is so large. <laughs> um, like you said, you get kind of greedy for more time with some of these characters. Yeah, uh, it just isn't that much. Uh, they're just uh, they're on it. There just aren't enough minutes in an episode. Got to go to twenty six episode really... seasons. Yeah, I, know. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, 
or I, I think spin we off. also yeah a spin off would be good. We were talking about uh, I'm I'm a proponent of a spin off where all of the female characters um, just like abandon abandon all the men and like create their own land <laughs> um, where they just like populate it with them and like the fairies go there and it's all. <laughs> I, I'm proposing the the like Isle of Lesbos spinoff of the Magicians, which could <laughs> yeah. have. We've got enough Greek mythology. <laughs> yeah, true. I think I also have to shout out Jason oh, yeah. as Quentin. We haven't mentioned Quentin at all, and no, we haven't. I know it's and it's and it's Quentin's show. So um, he. He's really like growing up, and you can see it, yeah. like happen on the screen. Like his character is really just becoming an adult now. <laughs> we were, yeah. I sort of, I, he was. He's he's another character I wanted to see more of. Um, I would have loved to. You can see it. Jason is so intelligent and and subtle in the way that he is growing the character. Um, I wanted him to have a big speech where you could really see it all kind of bust out. And he certainly puts himself forward in the finale um, in a, a very selfless and powerful way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I could, um, I, could, I could watch him all day. And uh, I, I would love to see more, more strong writing for him next season. One of the things that yeah. we were talking about before we saw the finale was sort of thinking that there had to be a way to get back to the sort of the concept of like heroic sacrifice, the hero pays the price that we get at the end of the quest in the books. Um, and I think there is kind of this like brilliant move, even if it, if it is a little subtle to have Quentin make that realization for himself instead of having it be something that's handed to him by Ember really does help show that growth and to have it in the context of his like, a convers- of conversations and his relationships with um, Julia and Alice, I think, is also really powerful. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not forced on him the way it is in the books. It comes out of him when he's ready. Uh, and that's kind of a great thing. Even though it doesn't happen. And <laughs> they're just like, <laughs> it's so clearly like a device at the end of the episode or it's like, we need all of our characters to still be like around for next season. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> let's <laughs> reboot, soft reboot. Okay, so let, let's jump into the episode full force. I'm going to start with a recap for our listeners. It was mm-hmm. really hard to write this recap because there's just so many moving parts in this episode. But uh, I'll do my best. So Julia graduates to full-on goddess status and leaves the questers just as they're about to finish the quest. Alice searches for a way to reinvent herself, literally. And meanwhile, the fairy queen sacrifices herself to protect her people. I told you this is getting convoluted. Just as the questers are about to restore magic, Alice destroys the keys. Julia remakes them, leaving, losing her power in the po- process. And then Dean Fogg, Irene McAllister, and the traveling librarian show up to place the siphon on the fountain. And because Julia has sort of used up all her power, she can't stop them. As the episode closes, Alice is trapped in the library and the rest of the questers are off living normal, non-magical lives, except that they're being followed by the monster from the castle. So, Danny, what did you think of this episode? Um, I have a lot of strong feelings about this episode. <laughs> it has kind of, like, grown over the last couple of days. Like, 
I really liked it basically up until like the last like 10 minutes. And then mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, well, what the fuck is happening? Um, <laughs> the first time I watched it, I was not all that happy. The second time, I think I've grown to like it a lot more with time. Yeah. I don't know. I'm very conflicted <laughs> with my feelings for it. Um, I like a lot of pieces about it. Um, and all of this will be okay as long as Irene McAllister gets the worst possible fucking death or a fate worse than death next season. Because I'm a little surprised she survived this season. I, I kind of thought um, she'd get clipped by now. So uh, they've, I, they've got to, I hope that I think, I hope they're, I, I agree. I hope they're working on something. Yeah. She is the absolute worst person I think we've seen on this show and that's worse than Reynard in my opinion Mm. (laughs) well and right like it's I think she sort of introduced mostly the show has has steered away from like pure good and evil but it's really Mm -hmm. hard to find anything sympathetic about the McAllister's storyline like they they're just awful human beings um but who knows the the fairy queen was redeemed in this season. Turned out she was very sympathetic. So very who knows? <laughs> um, I was very sad about her sacrifice. Yes. Very sad. That was actually, that was like, I also found that interesting when I was like rewatching it. I was like, oh, so this is the, this is the Aslan scene that we're getting for the magicians. Oh yeah. Good point. <laughs> <clears throat> it's kind of yeah. like the white queen does the Aslan um, sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had a lot of conflicting feelings about this episode, too. Um, from a story perspective, I actually think that it, it's pretty effective in that it, it creates a lot of drama, sets up two new enemies and a situation that's, like, ripe for irony because, of course, like, half the characters have no idea what's going on. And Alice's, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing, like, Alice's genesis to Cassandra. Like, people aren't listening to her when she knows things. Um, but on a personal level, and I think this is probably what you're getting at the last 10 minutes, I really, really struggle with Julia getting refrigerated. Um, and for our listeners who may not be familiar with that term, it comes from comics. Um, there's a sort of phenomenon known as women in refrigerators, where powerful women are either killed or, um, or um, otherwise depowered um, in order to sort of further the plot. Um, and the original comes from, was it, was it Green Lantern? It was one of the green superheroes. Like, his girlfriend was, uh, she was cut up and put into a refrigerator. Um, so that's yeah. where the term comes from. So yeah, like, that was a real struggle for me. And I, I get that it would be hard, like you said, to remove Julia from the main plot line again. I get that it wouldn't really work to set up all these enemies effectively if she were powered up. But after everything she's been mm-hmm. through, it's just really hard to see the one good thing that she got out of it taken away from her yeah i mean she gave it away she made a decision she did um but yeah yeah she didn't get um um it it does make you think why 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 was it why was it her why did she have to pay the price again yeah Mm -hmm. um quentin slightly has a way of offering to pay the price and he puts himself out there but doesn't necessarily end up paying it. No, mm-hmm. Elliot sees to that. So, so love. What are your thoughts? Anything? Anything we didn't cover? Anything that you 
I don't know, what were your initial reactions? You get the scripts, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought I, I thought it was great, and I thought it set up the next season in a really great, super exciting way. Um, it was um, there's a lot packed in there, and you know I think my one of my first reaction was um, uh, how are we going to get through this without uh, the really powerful emotionally powerful moments being rushed through uh, because you know you've got uh, you know you, suddenly you've got uh, Calypso and yeah. Prometheus. Uh, and you've got the siphon, and you've got the monster, and uh, you've got, the, you know, the fairy queen. There's just a ton of stuff being th- thrown out that has to be resolved. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot of story to get through in, um, yeah, in, 45 in one episode. Yeah. And I was surprised, actually, about how um, powerful some of those moments were, even though it, it does happen at a, at, a, at a breakneck speed. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think like when I was sitting down to write that, um, that recap, I realized like there's so much packed into this, but the pacing throughout the episode felt spot on for me, to me, for the most part. Yeah, it was, it was done well. I really like the, the actress who played Calypso. She's really pretty. Um, she's really talented. I've seen her in quite a few other things. Um, so they did a good job with that, but it makes me wonder, like, what is the monster that they unleashed? Because it's not, like, all the Titans, like, we thought it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, the Titans are involved, because Prometheus is a Titan, and as you pointed out, so is Aura. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what that monster is. <laughs> and I've been, like, trying for days to figure out if it was, like, based off of, like, a specific myth or something, and I don't. <laughs> I'm having problems because everything just keeps coming up when I like search certain things or just like video games. I'm like, that's not what I'm looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a feeling that, you know, they have decided to offload um, that stuff, you know, for a deep dive in the the coming season. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, we don't know very much about them. Um, I I wish they they would come up with another way of showing people that people were evil and or possessed than having their eyes glow. There's got to be another way. <laughs> it might be more expensive, though. This one had, like, hellfire. <laughs> this one had, like, hellfire in its eyes at the end of the episode, so... Yeah, that is true. That is true. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just want to see Hades again, too, so... Yes. If I don't get Michael Lavoy back, I'm going to be really, really sad. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him in Hamilton in SF, and I actually... I... I... We went because I took my friend because she's, like, really into it, and she had just gotten her PhD, and I was like, all right, uh, you are poor, but I can do this, and it'll be great, and it'll be fun. So I actually, like, experienced Hamilton for the first time on stage, and he was the Hamilton that I saw, and he was amazing. It just blew me away, and uh, when I heard from, when Arjun told us that he was going to be in the episode, and when I found out that he was playing Hades, it was just so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I hope to get that back. So yeah, um, why don't we talk about the mythology a little bit? Because um, I mean, there's there's a ton to unpack in this episode, but um, that's a good starting point, especially because we've been talking about it all this season. It is so much food for like crackpot fan theories, <laughs> um, mm. and it's it's mm-hmm. something right. Like mythology is something that you play with in the books as well. Um, 
So, Lev, maybe I'll just start by just asking you, like, what what have your impressions been about the way that the, like, about the show's orientation toward mythology? Um, do you see it as, like, similar or different from what you were doing? Um, I don't know, anything that stands out to you? Oh, it's very different. I mean, I'm, I was very, very reluctant to uh, introduce, you know, um, uh, elements from actual world mythology in the books. And I did a little bit with Reynard, um, but I sort of gave it a hard twist. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have been putting any sort of Greek gods in there. Uh, whereas they feel, um, they like to kind of rifle through rifle the cabinet and just, um, (laughs) grab, grab what they like, which is, uh, which is, you know, in the great old CS Lewis tradition, uh, he used to grab everything that wasn't nailed down. So it's, you know, it's kind of cool. And they, they kind of do this American gods type thing of, uh, having the gods be on earth and having them take on kind of roles in a modern context, uh, which is, you know, kind of always fun to see. And, um, I could see them, I could see them pushing that further, uh, in some ways. It's, it's kind of a one-off, but like Calypso as, um, as designer of like, super addictive games <laughs> was like a really, a really brilliant move, right? Like things that draw people in and keep them there. That cracks yeah. me up. She's, um, she's a long way from that, you know, Alice said it and I still can't pronounce it, whatever that island is where she started out. <laughs> Ogigia, Ogigia, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. I love how Alice was just like, like sitting there, just like you guys are saying it wrong, but she never says it. Like she says it under her breath. Like corrects them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they handled that really well. That was a real laugh out loud moment for me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we had Danny and I had talked a lot about going into this. We, my theory at least was that um, it had to have something. I think we both agreed that it had to have something to do with the Titans. My theory was that the the castle was going to turn out to be. Tartarus, which I think it honestly, even though they don't make that explicit, I, I think it still is in that tradition enough that um, I'm going to call that a win. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but I think they like they've brought they didn't they haven't set up at least it doesn't seem to me that they have set up like Titanomachy or or like second war between the Olympians and the Titans. It seems like it's mm-hmm. more complex than that, which. You know, it's in the spirit of the show. They don't take anything at face value. There's always there's always a twist. Um, but it is really interesting to sort of see um, that the titans that we know, right, like Prometheus and Aura and whatever this creature is, right? Like the titans really only did come back in the finale and only in a fairly limited capacity so far. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I sort of feel like I don't know if that's going to be more of a thing in season four or if this sort of demon thing is going to be separate. We talked about Pandora last episode um, and whether, like, maybe this is sort of a play on that myth of, like, mm-hmm. letting, you know, letting out the evils and not being able to get them back in. Right. Um, yeah, it'd be fun to see them go to... I, I, I don't know the answers to any of this stuff in case anybody's wondering. Oh, good. I know, so I we, can, we can be more playful. Um, <laughs> but it would be fun to uh, see, it would be fun to see them push it further rather than just sort of picking and choosing among, um, uh, uh, you know, just pulling out figures from that mythology 
it'd be fun to sort of see them deploy it in a kind of thoroughgoing way and really kind of dive into those into those conflicts and kind of insert the magicians into them. Uh, I think that would be, I think that would be fun. Yeah. Well, and I kind of like the idea of, of magic or the back door to magic or whatever being kept in the same place as all these evils because it's, Right, like when we were looking up all the Pandora stuff, there's like two versions of the myth. One where she's given all these, the box contains, the jar contains all of these gifts that the gods give for mortals. And she lets out all of these positive things. And one where um, it contains all these evils and, and that's what ends up being released. And the funny thing is that the one thing that both of those have in common, which I think is really like resonant with what little we know about the, this like monster, is, is hope. The one thing that they, like, I can't remember if it's the one thing that they are able to get back in or the one thing that they can't get back in, is hope in both versions of the story. So it has this, like, both good and evil component. And, you know, that monster, like, longing and, and needing to be loved and needing to be played with, like, I, I don't know that I would say that that's hope, but, like, Hades sort of alluded to, like, needing like humans needing to have hope um for gods to be able to have control over them so i feel like they've played with like parts of that and i would love to see them yeah i I agree with you that i'd love to see them dive into it more in season four yeah i mean i wonder how the gods will react to the library hijacking magic in the way that they have i don't think see they're sort of hubristic (laughs) i don't think they'll be happy about it (laughs) yeah so I don't because they're playing God. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're literally it. playing God, and that's not going to make the gods very happy. <laughs> Though I wonder about yeah. like Hades is in the library, right? So I kind of wonder like, does he have? A I role don't in think that? he is. I think he just showed up. Okay. I think he's just always watching. You don't he think he's up. an administrator? <laughs> no, right, well, I don't think so. I, I do, but think- he might have like a hand with Penny. Oh. Yeah. I think you. Yeah. I'm really curious about that. I think, so the library seems like a good place to turn to next. Um, and I think, like, one of the things I really want to talk about is the alliance between the library, Dean Fogg, and Irene McAllister. So I think, like, the Irene side of it is, mm. is less opaque to me because they clearly don't have any compunction about grinding up fairies for magic. And I can see how, like, Irene would take that as a, a cue to make a deal with them to protect herself. Um, though I still don't know why she sort of, I I don't know if it's, if she has any of her own motives in that, or if it's just about like being, like being protected. Power. Yeah. Um, but I don't for the life of me understand why Dean Fogg is helping them. (laughs) And I don't know. What do you think is going on, Danny? Me either. I was like, I literally was completely in shock when Dean Fogg like rolls up and starts talking to um, mm-hmm. the library and I'm just like, they've, they've uh, pulled one over on me and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not happy about it because <laughs> Dean Fogg, it's like if Dumbledore turned on Harry Potter, like <laughs> I feel very like hurt. I mean, he made deals for them of some sort, obviously, but mm-hmm. cause he cares about these, these kids, but at what expense? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, Fogg has a kind of venal streak in him. Uh, 
But like Alice's decision to kind of renounce her identity, it was one of those things, one of those big, big 180s that I felt like I've wanted to see more preparation for. Uh, I guess Fogg must really have believed that um, Irene was going to kill the kids. And uh, the only way that he, or the library was, or they were together. And the only way that he could secure their survival was to intervene in this way and make this compromise, which he's obviously somewhat conflicted about. Um, but it was painful to watch, definitely. I'm yeah. curious if he created like a loophole, like um, if those potions at some point like will wear off and he didn't tell them that. Okay, so I was looking up, um, I think it was when I was looking up Aura, um, either last night or this morning, um, that I found something in one of the myths, and I don't remember if it was hers or if, oh no, it was Calypso actually. So there's like one myth around Calypso where she creates a potion that causes people to basically have like some version of amnesia for one year. And I kind of wondered if like there was any inspiration from that or if it was like pure plot device from other places. That's interesting. I didn't know that about Calypso. Obviously there's a lot I don't know about Calypso. Uh, that's interesting. That'd be worth following up on. Yeah, I will say that one of the like one of the things that I've really liked about there's a lot I've liked about the show, like going into the Greek mythology. But one of the things is, uh, in order to have coherent fan theories, I have had to like research a lot more about Greek mythology than like what I remember I, from eleventh grade world history or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. When I've when I've studied like Greek and Roman and like even Egyptian mythology, like later in life. And I was like, I really got a, like the tiniest slice of this when I was younger. <laughs> uh. So, so Liv, you said you don't, you don't know what's going on, which is great because it means I can ask you for just like your, your pure unfiltered fan theories. Um, so what's your read on the library? It's taking on like a much bigger role than it did in the books. Where do you see that going? Oh, I know it is. It really is. <clears throat> um, uh, and that librarian, uh, she's, uh, again, she's somebody who I took as a kind of, um, uh, you know, a walk on day player, but she's taken on a kind of malevolent gleam hmm. that, uh, I didn't see in her initially. Uh, yeah, it seems as though, um, they've become, they're sort of, uh, um, stepping up to some kind of become some kind of Orwellian, um, you know, vaguely uh, um, fascist kind of apparatus who are, um, their sort of tendency, attraction to control has become, has kind of just blown up into a full kind of full-fledged uh, kind of totalitarian grip. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem, <laughs> doesn't seem sustainable. I feel like mm. they're going to provoke a pretty strong counter-reaction from the magical community. Um, and then, you know, we'll see, we'll sort of see, we'll see where they end up that, you know, they're, I assume they're human, the librarians. Uh, they're just sort of exceptionally powerful schooled kind of knowledge magicians. Um, I don't know, which is, I hope they haven't gotten completely over their heads or maybe I hope that they have gotten over their heads. I don't know. <laughs> so like, Alice is kind of like in this state of in-between. She hasn't forgotten herself just yet. And is that because she's like 
in the Netherlands, so it's like time is moving very slow. Oh, I don't think she took the potion. You don't think so? I don't either. Mm, I don't. Because when she like blasts some spell or whatever, she's all like, I'm not going to remember this anyways. Right. I think she was still planning on taking the uh, potion at that point, but I don't know if she ever got a chance to. I could be wrong. Mm. I thought she took it like immediately afterwards. No, I don't. I don't think yeah, she did either. I don't know. I think. I mean, her subjective time seems to be. Um, mm-hmm. Subjective time seems to be passing for her, and she um, she seems all too aware of the consequences of her actions. Yeah. Also, they finally mentioned the order. Dean Fogg finally mentions the order. Hmm. So that was something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, two things. One. I don't actually know that I think that all of the all of the librarians are human. I am not sure about the head librarian who I think like I've seen people calling her Zelda, but I don't remember ever hearing that name. Maybe it's just credited, but um her name is Zelda. So thinking about like the whole Cassandra myth, I I sort of wondered, okay, Alice had a deal with the library with the librarian who is uh female, has a Z name broke that deal, um, there might be a way to sort of like cast that as, as like a, a deal with a god um, that she broke and that's how she sort of becomes Cassandra, sort of ends up in this position. Rather than actually, like I originally thought, I think as, as I think you probably did, Danny, that like she would take the potion and then she would transform into Cassandra. But I don't think she did. I agree with Love about that. And like mm. as I see it unfolding, I think it's just about her being sort of driven crazy by the circumstance. Maybe. Although I like that they're doing that. I I also kind of hope that they don't because you know. Poor Alice. I, I like like Alice's the fact that Alice is in the end of uh, the series <laughs> <laughs> as Alice. Yeah. Um, so the other thing you mentioned was the order and I've been thinking about that because I mean, we, we were talking about it when Penny had his like conversation with Hades and ate the cupcake and joined the book club. Um, but in, in the books, Penny joins the order and it, it feeds like the part of him that needs power and control. Um, and in mm. the series, I can actually see him I can actually see him going the other way. I can see him ending up in the order, but as kind of like an outside infiltrator who maybe helps the others um, sort of deal with what's going on at the library. I mean, I could see it. I could also see him like just joining up and deciding that say like magic hasn't helped Katie. And so uh, maybe it's better if she doesn't have it. But I think that like one way that you could deal with the potential unsustainability of this like fascist regime is to have somebody on the inside who is working to put it down. And Penny seems well positioned to be that person. I don't think he's going to be very happy with the events that have happened when he finds out if he has found out. Do you think they're going to run both characters in parallel, Penny 23 and Penny 40? I feel like they have to at some point. I feel like they should. They have to meet each other at some point. <laughs> that would be cool. I like was cracking up when uh, Penny ended up being a DJ and it's like <laughs> life. I was like, this makes so much sense. <laughs> it really does. 
Yeah. <clears throat> I, I don't know if Jason has ever actually been a beleaguered graduate student, but he really plays a beleaguered <laughs> graduate student, you know, <laughs> to the hilt. <laughs> yeah. Hale is, Hale is very creepy as, like, possessed, like, Elliot. Like, he did a very good job. <laughs> you can imagine them stroking their chins and saying, hmm, who should the monster possess? Who should the monster possess? <laughs> <laughs> and Alice is locked in the library. So yeah. <laughs> Sorry if you hear dogs. Um, some of my coworkers—I mean, some of my like people who live in this building have like the most annoying fucking dogs on the planet. <laughs> like, well, literally, like they'll go for like ten minutes at a time, just going, arr, arr, arr. and I'm like, sometimes it sounds like these dogs are being abused, but they're just those kinds of small, small dogs that just go off for a while. As the owner of a small yappy dog, I can confirm that it is, it's annoying to the owners as well. <laughs> I know. I know. I have one. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, Anyways. Okay, so we started talking about Penny Prime, and I think that was where we were headed next. Um, anyway, Danny, do you have any theories about him? When do you think we're going to see him next, and what kind of role do you think he's going to play? I have a feeling it'll probably be a couple episodes until they bring him back. Mm. Um, they really like to do the big penny episodes about like a couple episodes in. <laughs> so um, I feel like eventually we'll just like, he'll show up and then probably meet the other penny. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of like, it's like how long are they going to do the whole, like them not remembering themselves for like, is that going to last a while or. Is it gonna... uh, I love it. I hope, I hope they really draw that out. I think, or, and you know, really one by one, you know, make them make them remember. Uh, for some reason, that I love, I, I find that kind of really appealing. Maybe because I periodically forget who I am. But uh, I sort of thought, oh, what a great setup! I hope they really kind of milk that. <laughs> um, and a note on, on on Penny Forty, by the way, I don't think Penny Forty's coming back. Really, you really don't. That this again, not working on any information. Um, I think I think he's done. I think he's out. I think he ate the he ate the cupcake, and that's the end. But like, so you think we're never going to see him again? Not even to like. It just seems so. I think <laughs> one of the things I one of my things I liked about this um, season, and I really liked that timeline crossover episode with um, Quentin as the Beast. It's a great reveal, and oh, I really yeah. feel like you know one of the ways that this writers' room operates is that they kind of like to dare each other to to do things like, you know, they're like, okay, Penny's trapped in his astral form. Um, you know, what's the one thing we have to be sure of? Oh, well, we have to, we have to, we can't die. We have to bring him back. And then somebody in the room will say, I don't know, let's just kill him. Let's just have him stay dead. And I feel like they're kind of playing that game. We're like, what if we just had him stay dead forever and never come back? Uh, and I have a feeling somebody made that dare and somebody else took it and they're just going to, um, we're just going to live with Penny 23. Well, but he can stay dead and still be in the show. What was that? I, I don't think they'll be able to completely resist having a, 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 a face-off between uh, the two pennies. But I think he may make a cameo now and again. But uh, I think that, you know, he may also have basically walked off into the sunset. And now Penny Penny 23 is our Penny. Or Penny Prime. Which one is Penny Prime? Um, Penny Prime is Penny, Penny 40. Prime. All right. So what's Penny 23? He's 23rd timeline Penny. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think that I think Penny Twenty Three may be our, our our Penny now. 
I don't know. I missed a call from Arjun last week, so maybe he was going to tell me, but uh, that's my theory. Uh, I hope your theory isn't right. <laughs> I would be, like, eternally sad for Katie, as, like, I'm already eternally sad for Katie at this point. I'd just go further. Well, Katie's eternally sad to begin with. She's been through the fucking ringer. She's yeah. been through the fucking ringer, and I'm like, no wonder she's, it's like, a drug addict in this other life, too. I felt bummed that, you know, she gets a whole other magical identity, and she turns out to be, you know, a druggie in that one, too. Like, you know, can she ever catch a break and not be dealing and or taking drugs? I don't yeah. know. What was um, Julia supposed to be? Was she an architect? architect. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see. There's a little Calypso connection there. Um, well, and yeah, really, she's about like to design. She was making... She was, seemed to be designing the Soho Art Center or something. I can't remember what they called it. Um, anyway, she seemed to be doing a good job. She seemed very successful. Maybe they <laughs> should leave her there. I loved um, the fact that, obviously, uh, Margot became Janet. I was just like, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, I found that satisfying. I was like, I have a feeling it's going to be like, there's just like this hint of recognition, though, uh, between, like, knew Quentin and Elliot, even though he was like, no, you don't know me, but, like, you could just see it in his face. Like, I recognize you, like... Well, and there was um, that there was that moment And between... then same with Josh yeah. and Janet. Yeah. <laughs> um, one other, like, just book nerd thing that I really liked, I loved that um, when Julia sort of goes into the goddess realm, her guide is Iris, who is, like... <laughs> I mean, first of all, like, perfectly suited to that role from Greek mythology, but also is her guide in The Free Traders when she goes to Moor. Um, I just really enjoyed that that, like, that was just a nice little touch. Yeah. True. Yeah. Also, that, like, actress who plays Iris looked so much like a young, like, Evan Rachel Wood that I was just, like, <laughs> by her. All right, so... We should get to fashion soon. Some other things I just want to, like, call out. I really liked Fen as High King. Um, I love mm-hmm. that Margot, like, selected her to be the one to be in power. I mean, it's not like there were a ton of alternatives once you take all the questers away. But I, I really enjoyed her in that role. And I really enjoyed the, like, brief conversation she has with the fairy queen who's trying to, like, I don't know, help her lean in or whatever. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if Fen's going to, like, find like obviously she's gonna at least at some point be like I don't think they're coming back and then try to find them yeah well I wonder about that I also just like there's kind of like shades of um when during the quest Quentin and and Julia end up on earth in the books um and they like come back and it's seven months later in Fillory and uh Elliot has like come into himself as High King. I can kind of see that being a thing that happens to Fen, that she like starts off as this, you know, timid kind of like doing this because she feels like she has to, but not feeling like she deserves it. Right. And that by the time everyone figures out who they are and comes back, she is really in control of the situation and, you know, is is ready to give Margot a run for her money. Yeah. That would be great to see. That would be great to see. Um, it would be fun if, um, you know, Margot had to rest, rest control back from her. Um, <laughs> that is a, that's a matchup that I, I'm honestly not quite sure who would win. 
Yeah. I, and I think it would be really, I mean, I think they're, they're so different. Those two characters, they come at power mm. from such a different angle and with, I think different ideals for it. Um, and it's tough to know. It's, it's tough to know how Fillory would take those two things. Um, would approach those would like who Fillory would favor given those options. If, Fen has time to come into herself. Yeah. Yeah. She's not a child of Earth, um, but otherwise she's kind of got everything else. Yeah. Yeah, um, they kind of wanted a Felorian, so they, they got one. Yeah. <laughs> well, and she's, right, like, she is, at this point, I think, just as invested as, even though Margot is the one to sort of broker the, broker, broker that conversation with the talking animals and sort of gain their initial respect, right? Like, Fen has a vested interest in maintaining those same policies. She also was there for um, everything that happened with the fairies with Julia. Um, so I think she's, like, well-positioned to be the tr- the kind of, like, true Felorian leader who has just, like, learned from all these encounters with the children of Earth and can, can make, can lead Fillory without having to be can lead Fillory and be of Fillory at the same time. Yeah. It would be great to have, uh, see her. It'd be interesting to see her uh, develop another love interest besides Elliot. Todd. Uh, Todd. I, Todd, <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like she spent enough time trotting around after Elliot, um, you know, like a sand puppy. Uh, I think it's time for her to come into her own kind of sexually as well as everything else. Um <laughs> We talked to her earlier yeah. this season, and she was saying that she, like, in the, like, orgy scene in Central Park um, early on, that when that happened, she she went up to Sarah, and she's like, why don't I get to be in an orgy? And she said, You're, you were, you got the opportunity, and you turned it down last season. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> be good to I'm, see I'm her. wondering, this, this better be our opportunity for Todd to somehow end up in Fillory and, yes. and be High King Todd. Well, or High Queen Todd. High Queen Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They do seem like really well matched, though. I don't know. Maybe she'll develop a Fillorian love interest, too. Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. What else? Anything, anything else you guys want to talk about for the episode? It's a finale. It's a big one. I, I, have, I just have a question to throw out there, which is... Um, Given that uh, magic was restored shortly afterwards, was the Fairy Queen's sacrifice in vain? I think so. I think I think that's a really good question, and I think I think like the way that it plays with the, the sort of morality of the show and um, the like approach to fate would be really interesting if it turns out to be in vain. But. Um, I still think that, like, I, I mean, I don't, I, I, whatever she did with that deal is going to protect the fairies. Um, and I think that I can see her being right that, the, that I mean, I hope she's right that Irene McAllister is going to live to regret making it. Because, mm. yeah. I'm assuming she's going to break the deal at some point and that's going to. Well, I, I don't think it, I think the idea is that, it, like, there's, there's nothing physically you could do or magically you could do to break it. But I don't know. Like it's a, well, I, 
I mean, though, like, she'll probably end up killing another fairy. Well, but that's what I'm wondering. Like, is she going to be physically able to kill a fairy at this point? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. I think it seems like you have the capability to break the deal, and it would probably just have really bad consequences. Hmm. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. Can be, like, yeah. Kingsman-style. Her head will explode. She kills a fairy. That would be lovely. <laughs> saw Kingsman 2 on the plane, so it's... it's I have not seen Kingsman 2. No spoilers for Kingsman 2. It's a great plane movie. That's all I'll tell you. Kingsman 2 is pretty good, actually. (laughs) It's pretty good. Um, All right, so... You watch watch a lot of movies on that Sydney flight. I feel like there's a whole body of cinema that I've only ever seen, you know, semi-conscious in a drug state somewhere between, (laughs) somewhere over the Pacific Ocean. Oh, Danny, (laughs) the the other one I saw, I finally saw Coco, so I thought you would like to know that. Is that good? It is really good. It's, It's great. And Danny's been talking about it all season. Um. <laughs> right. I can't decide whether to show my kids uh, or not or whether it's too creepy. Is it it's creepy? It's not creepy at all. But everybody's like a skeleton in it, aren't no, they? It's... Or doesn't it all happen in, in Hades? Well, so I may have a worse like, idea about what Coco is actually about. It's just about like uh, the Day of the Dead and um, kind of like seeing family. It's very just like about family. But there's actual dead people in it, right? Yeah, but they're not creepy yeah, at all. Yeah, they're like... They're, like, cutesy. Like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. They just kind of make it very Disney. Yeah. It's very Disney-ified. How, how yeah. old are your kids? Seven and five. So maybe the younger one might find it a little hard, but I think seven is, is plenty yeah. old for that. Uh, my, like, younger cousins who are, like, five and six are obsessed with it, so they're pretty okay with it. But they're also you know, Latin American, so. <laughs> My parents took me to Young Frankenstein when I was a little kid because it was a comedy, <laughs> and I was so horrified and traumatized by seeing it that uh, I, I'm, I, I have this fear of doing the same thing to my kids. Oh, my mom overly traumatized me as a child. So she would, like, stop me from watching, like, the most random things. But if she wanted to watch it, like, I would watch it with her. And would, I would watch the most obscene horror movies as a child. And and literally had insomnia since I was probably, like, six because I couldn't sleep because I was terrified of everything. So See, Yeah, my, I told my – yeah. My parents tried to stop me from um, watching those things. But my, so my stepdad is a film professor – and I remember that when I was like seven or eight, they were watching the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, and they were like, you don't want to see this. And I insisted on watching it and was like forever scarred. And then the very next day, my mom made okra and said, look, it's the pod people. And I still, to this day, can't eat okra. <laughs> Not that I'm afraid of it. It just, it's, it's people. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. back, to, back to the finale, though. Yeah. Um, okay, any other things other than uh, does the fairy queen, is her sacrifice in vain? Do you think her sacrifice is in vain? Kind of. Yeah. Uh, although it's an irony that the show doesn't explicitly uh, confront. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm missing something. Yeah, I know how they, I love how they just showed up last second and, like, fucked everything up, like... They're about to restore, like, they restore magic, and then, like, they're, like, suddenly appear, and I'm just like, they just can't have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> Irene, she's, she's really writing for a fall. I mean, the library doesn't need her, I don't think, right? I mean, why is she even there? I kind of wondered. Alice? If- We're talking about Alice, right? Why is she there? No, no Irene. Irene. 
Irene, she probably because she was the one that could cut up the fairies, know, knew how. I guess she was supplying them with fairy coke. Um, still, you know, now that they've got the um, the waters back on, I feel like it's time to cut her loose. Yeah. Um, any any other observations about this episode? Any other <laughs> questions for season four? Um, let me think. <laughs> Danny, your thinking faces are epic. <laughs> 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 I'm kind of curious if we're going to end up with like a the good place style like everybody remembering things like by getting back together <laughs> like unity yeah are the I'm keys like gone for good now that they've been used on the fountain I think so mm. do you think Julia and Penny 23 are going to get together or Katie and Penny 23 mm. I hope I, Katie I and like... Penny 23 don't Penny twenty three is you know he's just a he's a loose he's an erotic loose cannon uh, and I feel like he's going to end up somewhere <laughs> but uh, maybe Julia if anybody could resist his um, you know his blandishments it's Julia. I so I'm trying to remember. Do you remember who when we talked to Arjun at the beginning of the season? Do you remember? I think we asked him like who, who he ships? ships Penny with. Do you remember? He who he, like, said? he said um he said um Alice. Alice. I think he also said something about either Margot or Julia or both. Well, I know he said he wanted to hook up with Margot at some point. <laughs> I don't think he. I don't think he like full on ships it, but he might have said Julia. I just don't remember Alice. He said that that's the most interesting relationship that he feels that he has. Yeah, uh, they definitely like, do have an instinctive understanding of each other. They do. I feel like I can see Penny twenty three and Margot getting together. I could see him and Julia getting together, but I don't know. I just don't want Julia. I really liked in the like hookups and murders um, chart from what was it two episodes ago? I want a good picture of that. Right. Yeah. Well, I really liked I need, that. Like, a like good picture. Julia is off in her own corner. She is like I like that. I like that she is like I don't know. I like the sort of her being a goddess and being kind of like beyond earthly things at this point and. Uh, I don't know. And I think if she did end up with somebody, I would want it to be Josh. I would Whoa. love that. <laughs> <laughs> I think her and Josh actually have a lot of chemistry together. And Really? Yeah. <laughs> At least on the show, you know. <laughs> They're little moments together. And just the fact right. that Julia is like the only one that ever like gave him a call was kind of right. nice. Nice yeah. touch. Well, and I feel like I feel like show Julia, I mean, Julia in, in the books and the shows, like, is very serious, especially by the time she gets to this point where she's all goddessed out or whatever. Um, and so it's nice for her to have someone who's going to make her laugh and, like, make everything not be so intense. The end of the season kind of, like, brought back my, like, feelings for um, Julia and Katie. Mm. Yeah. You're, what is that? What is that ship called again? Um, Wickoff. I can't remember. Wickoff. Yeah, Wickoff. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we've had yeah. to think about it. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely want to hear Julia sing some more. It was kind of a revelation when she um, uh, when she sang in the uh, in the Bowie song. Oh yeah. She's got that amazing contralto voice. <laughs> They need to put. They need to 
put together some songs that are like, I don't know, I would love to see her do a solo. I think that would be great. And I still, I still want Todd to sing I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Incredible. Maybe we could get like a webisode. That would be great. (laughs) Next time we have Adam on the show, we'll just make him sing it. We'll just be like, all right, you, just yeah. go, you gotta go for it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, um, all right. Well, fa- should, should we move to fashion? Yeah. Any other bits? Probably. Okay. Oh, no, no. I did want to mention I, I, I love, I always love um, when they have like the scenes between Julia and uh, Quentin. Oh, and yeah. they're like deep love for each other. And I was just like, I'm so happy that they've never tried to make them like a romantic pairing. Mm, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Even I love those scenes because they really do seem to understand and respect that relationship um, on a pretty deep level. Yeah. Plus like uh, Quentin, like just like his full on like smile with her, like just like their little nerdy, like laugh moments over her, her like godly yeah. name. Yeah, the characters seem to understand their relationship really well too. They're not confused about what they are to each other. It's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are a lot of those. I don't know. That would be like a good, a good supercut to put together. It's just the great Quentin and Julia scenes, like the under the maps, the end of the first. Yeah, season. under the table. Yeah. yeah. Um, there weren't as many of them in the second season, but there, but even. Even when they were fraught, like the one where um, they're warning each other about what's going to happen um, mm-hmm. bef- uh, when she's going after Reynard and he's going after the Beast. Um, and then there are a lot of them this season, like a lot of those little moments of mostly like Quentin supporting Julia as she's like coming into herself. <laughs> those are very emotional moments for me, just like seeing him seeing him grow up through realizing like what it means to be a good friend to her and to Alice. Yeah. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Fashion. So I'm going to start with this one, which I'm going to throw to you, Danny. Um, Julia goes through a bit of a fashion transformation in this episode, which is probably worth talking about. Um, it's very different from what she's worn before. Danny, what did you think of her outfit? And like, did you have any ideas about, what that was supposed to signify. Well, I mean, she's a goddess now, but like, I don't know what that, why they chose that particular approach. I'm not entirely sure. I thought it was kind of ugly, her (laughs) little goddess outfit. I liked, I liked the uh, umbrella that she had. The Mm -hmm. parasol. Parasols. Yeah. Yeah. um, But no, I thought her little jacket was kind of ugly. It was a little (laughs) too much. It looked a little like a straight jacket But I liked her. Yeah, I liked her hair though. Yeah, her um, her eyeshadow was a little too intense too. It was like very her like sparkly. Glitter. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't think I'm, <laughs> I don't think I've seen her in anything like that. It was kind of weird. Um, but I also liked her little um, professional outfit at the end of the episode. Right. That's yeah. not Julia. Yes. So I loved that outfit. It was also so. Uh, I think one of the things that I felt about that was after, especially after seeing like in the last episode. Margot, after she comes into her power, kind of like taking off some of those extra layers of um, of like armor, um, you know, wearing wearing sort of more subtle makeup, no longer having the like giant shoulder patty things or the leather or whatever else. Going into this episode and seeing Julia become a goddess, and then suddenly 
have like kind of more of those more sort of layers of things that make her look different from her sort of normal authentic self was a little strange um but at the same time right like she's a goddess so she is like a different class of being and i can understand why you'd want to set that apart i actually thought the parasols Mm -hmm. were kind of weird they felt like i don't know very mary poppins to me (laughs) (laughs) um I also was, like, really curious. Did you have any ideas about, like, what the stuff falling around them was? Is that just, like, pure magic light filtering around? Probably. It's probably <laughs> just, like, magic snowflakes. Magic snowflakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just, like, the dandruff of the gods. Uh. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> that would be a very Greek thing, though. I think they were just like, I think they were more like, we filmed in this forest before, we have to make it look different. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's distract them. Okay, so, so Julia's outfit was one of my fashion notes. The other one was, was um, Fenn's pantsuits as hiking and fillery. Um, I didn't really think they were that attractive, like, especially the first one where she's in that like beige one. I felt like she was maybe trying to like channel Margot and channel the way that she dresses a little bit as she's like trying to be high queen, but she's toning it down with exactly one color. Um, <laughs> but I do like that she's sort of continued to take these, the sort of sartorial elements um, that she got while she was on earth, like wearing pants um, and, wearing like slightly more masculine um, or not more masculine, but like slightly more, um, I guess like power suity type items. Like, I don't know. She's, she's, she's taking elements of what she wore on earth and she's incorporating them into Florian wardrobe. And I like that that's continuing even after she's like back in a position as a Royal where she's having to wear like full on Florian garb and she has to like ditch the jeans. Mm-hmm. I think she was just like, yeah, trying to take that earth style and kind of maybe a little bit fuller and also probably trying to kind of be like Margot, but not too much. Yeah. Um, Were there any fashion things you noticed beyond that? I feel like I didn't notice much from the questers in general. Margot looks incredible as Janet. Like when she becomes Janet, like her bangs and just like, she looked really good. Um, (laughs) Also, like, Possessed Elliot looked really good, too. He was just, like, wearing, like, all, all black and, like, a, like kind of, um, like, a pea coat. He makes a very and attractive, looked- tragic figure. <laughs> mm. Hale looks, looks so good, though. And I was like, he's possessed, but he looks amazing. <laughs> I, I could not stop laughing, though, at him. Um, Quentin as O'Brien, and I was like, "What kind of name is that? No, no, what kind of first name is it that?" It was Brian, wasn't it? Just Brian. I thought it was O'Brien. I heard him say O'Brien. I think it was Brian. <laughs> yeah. Right, I don't know. I don't know. That's Border Chief Quentin. <laughs> he looked weird though, like the beanie, like the like the beanie yeah. that barely fit his head. <laughs> it's almost uh, too real. Yeah, but like, he notice? also got to cut his hair finally. Did yeah. you notice that he walked past all those, like, like some Greek art exhibit poster and, like, a bunch of books that were, like, mythological? Yeah, I did. Oh, that's funny. Wow, that got by me. I thought that was a nice touch. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, uh, I love seeing the um, like the the flashbacks of Calypso and Prometheus and their um, their like togas and everything. Yeah, it's kind of like I always like I kind of wish we would just dress like that again because it just looks so comfortable. <laughs> yeah, why isn't that what <laughs> Julia gets to wear when she becomes a goddess? Why does she have to like wear a straight jacket? Basically, <laughs> yeah, the thing does not look comfortable. Whatever it was she was wearing. Um, Liv, I know you're not generally that big on the fashion, but were there any things, any, anything that you noticed? Uh, I feel bad. I, I really, I just don't bring very much to, to the fashion segment. Um, <laughs> can I remember anything that anybody wore in the episode at all? Uh, they must have been wearing clothes because I would have noticed that. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Penny looked good as a DJ, I thought. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, the beanie did really feel like spot on, spot on with, uh, with, uh, um, O'Brien. I'm only going to think of him as O'Brien now. Um, <laughs> uh, student. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought Fenn looked good as, as high K. Um, <laughs> now that you rubbish the pantsuits now, I'm gonna, I feel like I have to go back and re-examine that position. But, um, <laughs> you know, I thought, I thought, I thought they looked fine. I feel like, um, was that famous portrait of Queen Elizabeth, um, the first, uh, I felt like they must have been playing with that for for um, inspiration. I can see that. I don't know. I think that's all I got. Sorry, mm-hmm. my kids are screaming in the background. I don't know if you can hear it. It's okay. But, it's okay. Dogs, kids. <laughs> dogs, kids. Yeah, yeah. They sort of sound the same. I think we got a train at one point too, so we're we're good. <laughs> yeah. the I'm sure there's like a cat meow. I'm sure there's a cat meow in like every single podcast <laughs> by Dobby at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes by Stella or or um, Brittany. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They did meow for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I guess then it's MVP time. Um, so this is a pretty ensemble episode. Um, and that made it really hard for me to choose an MVP. Uh, but I think if you, like, put a gun to my head and made me pick somebody, I... I, I would, like, narrow it down to Stella and Olivia, and I'd probably go with Olivia. Just think, like, especially given that, like, she didn't, we didn't get as much time with her to develop that. I think she did a really good job of, like, bringing the emotion to the performance and uh, mm. making it interesting and uh, compelling to watch. So that's me. Danny, how about you? I'm, like, completely going left field and giving it to, to Hale, because... Oh, solid. Like, put... Possessed, possessed <laughs> Elliot was great, but also just like the choices he made and mm-hmm. like um, it was just like you could just see his like love for Quentin when he makes yeah. that choice to to save him. It was actually a complicated moment, and I feel like I should have called it out earlier when he shoots the monster. Um, and I remember reading on the page to think, yeah, of course he shoots the monster, great. But then when I see you see it done. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, he loves Quentin. He seriously disagrees with what Quentin is doing. It's actually kind of shocking yeah. when, um, when that gun goes off. It is, because it's like, that, that's like a lot of character growth for Elliot to, to do something completely stupid, but also like, like out of love, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. pure love. And a lot of anger. I mean, you can really, yeah. you hear that in his voice, like, stop fucking up your life. You know, stop, mm-hmm. stop, don't, stop You don't have to be a martyr, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
the guy who plays uh, uh, the monster, uh, although he doesn't have much to do, um, he was sort of strangely affecting, I thought. Yeah. And um, very creepy. Uh, yeah, very creepy. Mm-hmm. The will you play with me thing was very creepy. <laughs> I, I feel like he must have said that in the mirror like 30,000 different ways before he came in. <laughs> will you play with me? Will you, you play think, with like, me? Was that his entire audition? Will you play with me? Just that one line? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so so is, is that your MVP love or is there somebody else you wanted to throw in? Oh, I want to throw something at Jason. I think um, he... Uh, you know, he doesn't have a lot of fun stuff to do in this episode, and uh, he has to carry a lot of the emotional baggage of it um, in some, you know, really difficult scenes with saying goodbye to Stella, saying goodbye to um, Olivia. Um, says goodbye then, to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, a lot of goodbyes. Um, and then, you know, putting himself forward for, for basically throwing his life away and kind of, he really sells it. You know, you feel like, wow, that character actually, um, who we kind of hated on many occasions, um, I sort of believed that he'd grown up enough to do that. Uh, I, um, I thought he did really well with a, with a, with a tough part. Good choice. So, Solid choice. That's <laughs> going to bring us to ratings. Um, I think this was a, a pretty solid, well-constructed episode, but, um, there were certain ways in which it didn't really feel like a finale to me. Um, there's certainly like plenty of fodder for hiatus full of crackpot fan theories. So I, I think we will have to have another fan theory special it leads mm. plenty of threads unresolved, but there was something that just didn't feel really final about it to me. It felt like it's setting up a very long arc and one where like, it doesn't really feel to me like any of the unresolved threads um, are going to be resolved in an episode or two um, next time. So I think like, yeah, I don't know. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff that wasn't resolved from like this season or the first season or the second season even. Like the candy witch still has not appeared. <laughs> right, that vial of blood. That thing is going to, you know, come down on Quentin Hard at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And and even I mean, we're talking about Penny, right? Like we don't really know what's going on with Penny Forty, um, mm-hmm. and haven't for several episodes. And that's a weird sort of place to be unresolved. Um, I think because it's been unresolved for several episodes and we haven't seen any progress on it. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I think I ended up giving this, like, a 9 out of 10. Like, I think it was a really good episode. I was compelled. I followed it. But it didn't – it wasn't what I expected um, in both mm-hmm. good ways and frustrating ways. So, yeah, 9 out of 10. Yeah, I felt the same way. I give it, like, a 9 out of 10. I was like, it's not quite the perfect finale and left us with a bajillion more <laughs> questions. So, um, I mean, all finales are supposed to leave me with questions, obviously, but there's a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm excited, though. Yeah. For the future. It's it's so funny because, like, I've, you know, I've been in the chat occasionally and been talking to people and they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's about to be over. And I had this weird feeling starting, like, two episodes ago where I was like, I'm actually kind of excited for the hiatus because then we don't know anything. Like, we just... <laughs> it's pure speculation we're, just we're really like, like yeah we've really been set on a path where it's like obviously like 
we have no idea where they're going. Like as book readers, we have zero idea what they're going to be doing with book, like season four. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's exciting to be in that position for basically the first time in the series. Mm-hmm. They did that thing where, which they did last, the second season finale, where the last five minutes is basically a, a trailer for the next season, mm-hmm. which I liked actually. That yeah. was fun. Yeah, we got to see mm-hmm. Creepy Elliot. So. Yeah. I think in the early in the early draft of that script, um, he sort of like says he says what he says, and then Kent Quentin spins around and there's like this you know huge destructive tornado of blackness like whirling down the street and buildings are falling over. And uh, I don't know if they cut that for budgetary reasons or if they just thought it was you know overkill. But uh, I thought it, I thought it worked well the kind of the subtle approach. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of like that it it that the creature is just like knows it wants revenge, like it's ready to to unleash some <laughs> neg- negativity. Yeah, uh, it's really it's it's in a really angry place. Yeah, I also do really I don't know I really like how they characterize it as like just this being of pure want and like. I don't know, like pure ego almost, like just needs love and validation and attention all the time. There's something really satisfying about that as a, as a monster. Yeah. Parenthetical shout out to the, to the woman who played the knight, uh, because she had a lot of exposition to deliver and, mm-hmm. uh, I thought she, she did great. it pretty effectively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lev, do you want to, do you want to throw out a rating? I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I feel like uh, now I'm sort of lowballing it. Um, yeah, I just like to keep a lot of headroom for, you know, really exceptional episodes to I come. I mean, that's uh, smart. It, it we screw up on that every year. I, I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really powerful. Yeah. All right. Uh, Danny, any final thoughts on this season before we leave? Um, more quality. <laughs> more more, more, more Todd. Todd. <laughs> Even more Quelly. Yeah, right? Like this is this is us being the creatures of of like pure want and uh, and need. We got you gave you gave the fans a cookie of Quelliot. We will only want more milk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We've been joking for like the last 24 hours. I Fans, listeners, whatever you are. Um, I flew to Australia yesterday, so I'm uh, I crossed the international dateline. My brain is all slightly jumbled, and me and my coworkers who were on the flight together were all yesterday just like shouting out dateline thoughts whenever someone said something just totally random and bizarre that didn't make sense. So that was like a solid. That was like a dateline metaphor there. <laughs> Give a mouse a cookie. Give a fan a quelliot. Anyway, Lev, final takeaways. <laughs> Um, I am, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm psyched. I feel like the show's getting better. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's on a upward trajectory. So, uh, you know, Excelsior, I'm really excited to see what they, um, do things, how they do things in season four. Um, you know, I sort of watch the show as a fan at this point, yeah. um, rather than as the hypercritical author of the source material. Um, so it's almost more fun for me as they leave the, uh, the, the events of the books behind completely. Um, so, uh, I'm sort of, I'm psyched to find out, uh, 
What's going to happen next? We've been we've been talking about that too about how like it is really satisfying. We both loved the books, obviously, um, but there's something really satisfying about seeing it take on a new life in the show and and seeing it do its own thing and and not being able to predict what's going to happen next. It's I don't know. It, it's fun to to feel like we're fans of this thing separately now that it's its own mm-hmm. beast. <laughs> uh, it's fun for me too. Well, on that note, I, I think that we are done with season three of The Magicians. <laughs> Can't believe we're saying that. Um, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love, thank you for being here. Listeners, thanks for joining us for season three. Um, Danny and I are going to take a month off to recuperate now that the season's over, get some sleep, badly needed sleep. Um, uh, but we'll be back sometime in May to, to sort of help you through the hiatus. We've got some interviews lined up. We're going to do another fan theory and special and a shipping special. And, uh, you know, we'll try to come up with some other fun stuff for you. It won't be weekly, but we'll, we'll, we'll get you some stuff to, to keep you through till January. Uh, meanwhile, if you like what we're doing here, you want to help us out, head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Those positive, rate, uh, positive reviews help raise our rankings and search results, which makes it easier for other fans to find us. And finally, remember, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Mind slide.